Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 54. The pizza face goes out and wins at Bristol Dirt and how bad the NASCAR uh, NASCAR community or in regards to the Daytona Beach Mafia mangled the prep of that racetrack to the point where they had to race on Monday. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm your host. And I'm with my co-host, Josh Fine. What's good, brother? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, the dirt race was definitely an interesting experiment uh, on Monday, not Sunday, since it got rained out and due to the different issues and uh, I guess lack of experience prepping a dirt track in wet weather for NASCAR. But, you know, that wasn't the only thing that happened this weekend. You know, we had Formula One debuting the 2021 season, the Bahrain Jap- uh, GP. So that was a definitely interesting race there. Uh, Max Verstappen uh, took it to Lewis Hamilton to the very end. So uh, Lewis won, though, but it was a very interesting race uh, for once in Formula One. So uh, got a lot to talk about for that and for NASCAR Dirt. Yeah, NASCAR Dirt will... The Bahrain GP is what we will open with. Uh, I should have probably led with that because that was definitely an interesting race. Lewis Hamilton gets win number 96 in his illustrious career, even if Nelson PK um, wants to shit on him. Um, it must pay great to be an old, ornery, racist piece of crap. Um, the fact of the matter is, Lewis and Max, this is going to be a battle going all year. We'll talk about that in detail. We'll talk about how how much passing and in general, Bahrain has become one of the best races on the circuit. And um, a lot of the battles in the midfield, which was definitely a tough, tough battle across the midfield with uh, McLaren, uh, Lando Norris, and uh, Ricardo had issues. But the fact of the matter is they were definitely the best. And then you saw Ferrari and uh, others uh, stand out, and we'll talk about all that. We'll get into the cup and trucks. We'll also get into the roundup with uh, IndyCar news, uh, push to pass being tested at Indy because of the issues with their aero package. Uh, It doesn't seem like there are great returns on that, but, you know, they're trying to bring back similar, the Indy 500s of the early DW12 package with the crazy, Um, Before they did the arrow, they went and did the arrow kits when they had basically a super speedway um, IndyCar race of sorts or cup race of sorts, and they were had tons of passing. Um, They're trying to bring back a little bit more passing and got to give IndyCar credit for trying. They have a big uh, test at Texas going on this week. We'll also talk about some of the new sponsors coming in to the IndyCar series. Um, and also Connor Daly's um, badass paint scheme, uh, Jimmy Johnson's paint scheme being so popular um, on one major diecast site, uh, Circle B diecast, that um, theoretically um, we actually have a, a link that we can go and promote. And I should be promoting that, but um, I forget. Um, his car sold out. So now they're running another one. So it's amazing how somebody who's probably going to run 20th every race. Uh, his selling has the most popular diecast. It tells you how great Jimmy Johnson really is. Um, we'll get into that. We'll t- get into Top Gun Maverick Vinales going and winning the MotoGP uh, Qatar Grand Prix, uh, beating the Ducatis who were dominant. Jack Miller, Pecco Bagnaia, uh, Yoan Zarco, uh, that whole entire 
group at Ducati fastest bike for sure on a straight line and um, great track for them. But the Yamaha wins. Can Maverick actually carry it through for an entire season? He has not been able to do that. Um, he has new competition with Fabio Quattararo, um in his garage. Um, Valentino Rossi, of course, has moved over to the uh, Patronus team and uh, other changes that have gone on. And we'll get into all that. We'll also um, talk about football. Um, Josh's uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. It's not like we weren't sure that um, that uh, Trevor Lawrence was going to be drafted number one, but uh, um, Urban Myers basically came out and said that Trevor Lawrence is going to be drafted number one. So now what does Jacksonville do to put a team around him so that he doesn't get killed um, like Joe Burrow? Um, put weapons around him. They obviously have a running game with Robinson, but we'll get into that. And we'll also get into the fact that um, my 49ers traded away a, a small fortune um, and who they may be picking uh, based on one big time analyst. He kind of has an idea of who it's going to be. Another one kind of feels the same way, but he also offered another name that I can tolerate a little better. Uh, we'll get into that. And we'll also talk about Josh's. Um, we'll have Josh's iRacing segment uh, before we close out, uh, telling us how he kicks ass there or whatever that happens. Because, man, iRacing can be quite a um, uh, – it'll test your patience for sure. Just watching some of Josh's streams alone, it tells you how much patience you really need. And He's way more patient than I would have been. Um, I probably would be rage quitting or saying effed up stuff on the radio and getting like castigated by Tony Stewart. But um, Josh is mad chill that way. So we had to give him credit for that. And we'll talk about that before we go and leave for the Easter and everything. And we'll be back next week. So let's start with Formula One. Lewis Hamilton goes and wins the Bahrain Grand Prix. Um, but it wasn't straightforward by any stretch of the imagination. Max Verstappen was fastest in every practice. He won. He was qual he qualified on pole, pole by like four tenths, got the start, was leading. Uh, Lewis and Mercedes did an undercut, which worked initially. Then they had to come back in. Um, tire wise, they weren't in the greatest situation. Um, they under they had to do an undercut and the fact that Mercedes had two cars because of course Red Bull has to figure out a way to screw the second driver Sergio Perez's car stalled on the formation lap to the point where he had to go and start from pit road but like Sergio Perez usually does he goes and gets through the fact that he gets sabotaged on the regular and he got a top five finish out of it which tells you that Red Bull actually has two drivers now um, and I'd also probably explains part of why Max Verstappen is that probably taken a next step in his career um, a lot of battles all the way through the field but the battle between Lewis on 10 lap older tires versus uh, on a 10 lap older hard tires versus Max Verstappen came to a head on lap 51 made a mistake um, 
which should have cost them the race. And um, uh, he, they got to within a second, Verstappen, Verstappen passes him in turn four or whatever, six, whatever the hell turn it is with the runoff area, um, which we'll talk about with um, track limits. But he gave up the position and then got into the arrow wash and basically destroyed his fronts to the point where he couldn't get back past Lewis Hamilton. Um, this race fan right here uh, was very happy uh, about that result, of course. Um, uh, you, my mom knows when Lewis Hamilton wins because I'm very vocal when Lewis Hamilton wins. Uh, but this one meant a lot more because, quite frankly, Mercedes is on the back foot. And um, to go and beat the better car and the better driver that day, per se, it shows how great Lewis Hamilton is. Even if you have people who have way less world championships and wins and all kinds of stuff, want to crap on them. Um, people will always crap on Sir Lewis Hamilton. And all he has to do is just point at all the hardware he has. 96 wins and whatever polls or however many that he has speaks for itself. Seven world championships. It's going to be hard for him to win an eighth world championship this year for sure, Josh. But what a race on Sunday. It was definitely a very exciting uh, night at Bahrain and, and a lot to go over for sure with between the Lewis and Max side of things, at least. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting race there and not quite like what we see in the past with F1 opening races. A lot of times it becomes a follow the leader affair like we've seen in Australia uh, the past couple of years, but you know, this year opening in Bahrain and Max was stopping, you know, led the first 18 laps of that race. And then they went into the pits and, uh, Lewis Hamilton, Mercedes, they did the undercut and took lead uh, from that. But then, you know, they just didn't quite have the pace. And then Verstappen ended up getting the lead back. And then it was basically Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen uh, battle there and got up to the end there with like lap 51, like you said. And uh, Hamilton kind of made a mistake and allowed Verstappen to really close in. And Verstappen made that pass. He, uh, had to go on the outside, take the long way around, and Lewis kind of did the right thing there, uh, defending the position going to that turn. But then Max just kind of veered off onto the uh, outside the track limit and had made that pass. And then uh, I guess they had to, they were going to give him a penalty, but then, you know, he just gave the position back there. So you kind of question, like, should he have just kept the lead there and then uh, allowed the time penalty to offset whatever um, advantage he had gained off of that? Um, maybe that was the better strategy, but um, in the end, uh, Lewis uh, takes the lead back and then ends up winning the race. Um, so for Verstappen, um, you know, what could have been uh, if he hadn't made that mistake? But then, you know, uh, there was some chatter on social media with Lewis uh, having gone off the same uh, track limit or, you know, in different areas of that track and does bring into the question of, you know, the consistency, you know, with enforcing the, you know, the track limit in Formula One um, and how they should enforce that, whether that be like a, a natural track limit with uh, grass uh, outside that curb or, uh, you know, should they be very clear with the rules? Um, but I mean, it's ultimately kind of a minor thing, you know, um, I think uh, Max Verstappen just has to be better at not doing that. Um, but certainly it is a thing to think about because, you know, we see it all the time in NASCAR. You know, we talk about that later, but you know, they've done things uh, on kind of that level before. So, 
you know, in Formula One, definitely uh, something to look at um, with uh, their tracks uh, that they make. Like, that's kind of why, like, in my opinion, the better Formula Tracks or Formula One tracks are, you know, the old historical ones like, you know, Monza or Spa, where, you know, you have grass and stuff that kind of uh, have those natural barriers. Um, whereas these new grade circuits like Bahrain and other, you know, circuits around the uh, F1 schedule are very new and have paved runoffs. And so, uh, you know, we'll have to uh, take it for what it is, but certainly they could do a better job there. But, you know, in the midfield as well, uh, a lot of good racing there. Uh, Lando Norris uh, had a lot of battles uh, throughout the race with, uh, you know, Leclerc and uh, at the very beginning of the race and then, you know, ended up finishing fourth. So, good debut for the 2021 season for McLaren in general. And uh, I think for his teammate, uh, Dan Ricardo definitely could have been a little bit better race for him. I know he had some damage uh, to the body, I think, and, and that hurt his uh, race, but still was able to get points and finish in seventh there. Uh, so good debut for the third best team right now in Formula One. Um, and I don't know if you saw on Twitter earlier today, the uh, Zach, um, Brown, I guess, is giving a challenge to Dan Ricardo. If he gets a podium, then he'll get to drive the uh, 1984 number three car from Richard Childress Racing that uh, Dale Earnhardt drove, of course. Uh, Blue Goose. Daniel, yep. Yeah, of course, with Daniel Ricardo driving the number three in tribute to Dale Earnhardt, a uh, very uh, good connection there and certainly be an interesting watch to see when Ricardo gets his uh, podium and then uh, what track, I guess, and how, how to do driving the uh, a real stock car. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, you talked about Carlos Sainz on the pace lap. Uh, you know, he had a, or not Carlos, I'm sorry. I'm getting Sergio. Sergio. Yeah. That's my fault there, but sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, Sergio, you know, on the, on the pace lap there at the in formation, you know, he had that issue with uh, his car and then ended up having to start from the pits and what a drive that was uh, going all the way up uh, through the field. Um, you know, he was in the mid, you know, in the, towards the back there and then just worked his way up uh, from that. And you have to wonder, like, he originally started seventh. And if he didn't have that issue, you know, where could he have finished? Could he have been a little bit higher? And, you know, could he have uh, maybe gotten a podium out of that? That would have definitely been interesting to see um, with the kind of car that you have to make that drive. Uh, definitely have to have a really, really good handling car in addition to the talent level that he has. So yeah. definitely he started 11th. Sorry, he started 11th because he had problems. Like, here, the thing, like you mentioned, how great of a drive it was. And he he didn't even get to get in the top 10 shootout. Like, they effed up in qualifying on Saturday. I think there was something with a yellow or they put him out on mediums trying to go and skate into the top 10. They weren't able to get in on the first run. And then they kept him on mediums and he still wasn't able to make it through. So the sabotage BS was going on, the typical Red Bull sabotage BS. When your teammates qualified on pole and Sergio Perez definitely had pace, you screwed yourself out of, I mean, that's a Red Bull problem, honestly, personally, because that had nothing to do with with Checo. Like you said, his, I mean, that's just, we kind of are used to it. He did this a few months ago. He got not re- He got spun out on lap one and ended up winning the secure Grand Prix. Then the next week, his car quit. I mean, 
it's Sergio Perez. That's basically what his old career is. You know, you get in, but what I, but I, I do agree with you. If they gave him a proper car and they allowed him to qualify, um, this is going to be really difficult for Mercedes for sure. Um, because he's better than Botas. And it's, I, it's not because I think it's because Botas has way more wins and all that. And I get it. But I think Sergio Perez versus him, if it's a one-on-one battle, I'm taking Sergio Perez every time. When it's Max versus Lewis, I'll always take Lewis because of my bias. But the reality is I would take them no matter what time in their career it was, early, mid, or now. Um, Max is liable to go and have make the kind of error. Would you say it's an error? I think Lewis went and basically goaded him into that move. He didn't have the car. He knew he didn't have the car. He's like, okay, go outside. He went outside and he went and took his, his apex. And you know this, of course, being the expert uh, sim racer that you are, that you have to go and at times you go and kind of let the car go a little bit further out than you may have had to, or you you go and figure that they're going to go and run it over and i think also with the track limits thing i mean that that you made a perfect point the classic circuits there's a reason why the classic circuits are how they are there's a reason why there's certain circuits around the world that are renowned it's not just spawn monza but you think about road america you think about watkins glen yep you know those are tracks that are renowned forever They've been for decades. People love those racetracks. And what do all these racetracks have? They're tight. They have tight, you know, very little. You have to be on a ragged edge and you have to be really, really good. But then you know what else is there? There's grass and there's sand. There's no no pavement like freaking Ricard or Phoenix or some BS racetrack or any tilky drone that you can name. You you pay for a mistake, you know, like, I mean, granted, we, we say we pay for a mistake. You go off on a guardrail at Bahrain, like, like, um, like what pumpkin head, whatever, whatever. Um, what the hell, Mr. Potato Head, what the hell, um, uh, what the, what are they called? Egghead. Yeah, Egghead. I'm just coming up with the food n- nickname for what's his face for Putin Haas, um, who went oh, off amazing. in the guardrail. Yeah, I don't call him. I'm never going to call him by his name. He's he's going to be egghead, um, dipshit. There's there's he's never going to be called by his actual name um, ever by me, at least on this program. Uh, he doesn't deserve to be called by his name. I mean, credit to him. Uh, he ruined Sebastian. I mean, Sebastian Vettel helped himself in ruining his own weekend. But um, egghead spun out, I think, 18 times or something. I mean, he made Lance Stroll look like a good race car driver. So credit to um, Egghead on that. Um, yeah, shortest who, debut ever. <laughs> yeah, three corners, and then he went into the cat and went into the guardrail. So um, credit to him. Um, at least he's consistent. He's um, the John West Townley of Formula One, and um, and and then <laughs> you know I'm I'm looking. There was a collective cheer when when. Um, when uh, Egghead went and wrecked his car, I think. Um, 
I give credit to to people, the social media for that. And the Putin Haas is definitely my idea. We brought it up last week and I'm going to continue with that. I got everybody on the Grid Talk podcast to lose it when I said Putin Haas. So I'm going to continue to use it because quite frankly, it's true. And the one, I mean, I feel bad for Mick Schumacher that he's basically going to be driving a toilet um, in his rookie year, but the expectations are going to be completely buried. Um, on the other hand, I think the revelation of the whole entire weekend, um, somebody we brought up last week and it was also on Grid Talk everywhere, um, somebody who I think is going to be one to watch who was able to challenge world champions and pass them with relative ease. Um, we talked about the mid, you talked about the midfield, you talked about McLaren, you talked about Ferrari. I mean, Ferrari's taken a step forward. They're not anywhere near where they used to be, but they're coming back with a more solid, stronger lineup, two drivers that can compete. You know, Charles Leclerc is going to leave it all on the line. And you have Carlos Sainz, who's just steady. He's like ice, just like his dad. Um, but not really as good. And then you have McLaren, who has a great driver lineup with the Mercedes power plant or power unit, whatever, and they're going to be up there. And then, but Alpha Tori, you know, Pierre Gasly had that issue with Ricardo, ran into him, busted his front wing. His whole night was ruined, but he was in the top five early in that race. But Yuki Sonoda, I mean, he's already won Rookie of the Year. Everybody and her mother knows he's going to win Rookie of the Year. But he is he is an amazing talent. Um, one of the best young talents we've seen in Formula One in a long, long time. Uh, I think if this is my concern is he drives for Red Bull um, and that he kind of has the Honda connection. Now Honda is going to be gone. Um, if he is given the opportunity with the right team to build and develop his talent, he could be Japan's first world champion, and it wouldn't be a shock because he has the confidence. He has the he has the 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 you know he can speak. He speaks well. He he reminds he has so many aspects of Takuma Sato. It's scary. But he has he's refined and he's um, he has racecraft like God bless Takuma Sato. He's a two time Indianapolis 500 champion. He's like 40 plus years old, but it took on like 25 years for him to finally stop crashing every freaking week. Yuki Sonoda is not a crasher. Yuki Sonoda is a solid, strong race driver. And he passed Fernando Alonso. He was standing still. I mean, granted, the Renault engine, that car is not great. Uh, but I think Yuki Sonoda, to me, is a revelation. And I'm looking forward to watching him. And I'm a fan. And I'm, I'll, I will unabashedly say it. I mean, I, there's really, it's Lewis. I root for Danny Rick in general because I just think he's a cool dude. And he's really good. And he's aggressive. But Yuki Sonoda, I think I'm I'm hitching my wagon to him uh, long term, you know, the way I've hitched to Chase Briscoe, because it may not be pretty right now, but I think long term it's gonna work out. Um I mean, what do you what do you think, Josh, in regards to Yuki 
um, and what he was able to do. I mean, he finished ninth on debut, got points, uh, might have been able to get a little bit more of timing or things had fallen a little better. But, I mean, for the rookie battle, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, and uh, in regards to the – I mean, we should just uh, – before I go to you about Yuki Sonoda, anybody else that kind of behind him um, that was kind of a shocker or maybe things that was a surprise. Hamilton versus stop and Botas was your podium. Botas got the fastest lap. He went and set, slip, uh, put on a set of softs. Uh, with a couple laps to go. Lando Norris, fourth, and he was fourth basically the whole way. Uh, Checo from 11th and then starting tailback on pit road to fifth. Leclerc, Ricardo, Sainz, Yuki Sonoda, and uh, Lance Stroll in the green Mercedes um, finished 10th. Um, the Fernando Alonso and his return to Formula One had uh, break issues and had to retire. Uh, Gasly ended up retiring late because of the crash damage he got early in the race. And then the two other ride buyers, Latifi, had a turbo issue. So the park, um, there was some guys there that probably, you know, the alphas, uh, the uh, other alphas, um, the alpha Saubers finished 11th and 12th, and they had pace. So that was something too. But um, what do you think, Josh, about the back end of the top ten, or and also the back half of the field there on Sunday? Yeah. So talking about Yuki Sonoda, um, he's got a lot of pace for sure, and he's very aggressive. But he's also a smart driver, and the way the way that he drives, that you know, has a lot of respect for him, and um, being able to pass and battle with Fernando Alonso is really impressive. Um, you know, he got ninth place from last stroll in the last lap. So um, got the extra point there instead of just selling for 10th. Uh, so he was got a lot of pace and um, I think he's get definitely probably going to be rookie of the year in formula one, but knowing that he's um, definitely one of the better rookies that we've seen from formula one in a while. And I think, um, for him to be able to do that uh, says a lot about his talent, and we'll have to see what his future is if he ends up being in a Red Bull, like if he ends up succeeding Max Verstappen, if Verstappen leaves and goes to like Mercedes or something, or if um, you know he ends up going to another team. So that's going to be interesting to see because I think uh, once he outgrows the Alfatori car, there's definitely um, a lot of opportunity for him in in the series and. Yeah, I definitely think he's going to be a, a contender in the series for a long time. And I think, you know, one thing to point out about him is uh, Ross Brown saying that he's definitely one of the best rookie that he's seen in years. I think that's a, uh, says a lot about him uh, as a driver and as um, a racer in general. So uh, definitely very impressed by him. Um, and then I think, you know, also going in the rest of the midfield, uh, I mean, for – you know, Alonzo, uh, I think terrible debut for him. Uh, not the result that he wanted, but it's also kind of the the trope about Alonzo, him being a, a hard luck guy, you know, despite having, you know, 32 wins in Formula One and, and having two world championships, uh, you know, ha having a lot of hard luck throughout his career because he definitely could have achieved more. And this is a, another uh, page in that story, I guess, and having a DNF, due to a brake failure and turns out 
that that brake failure is caused by a sandwich wrapper uh, getting stuck in the brake duct, which is uh, definitely crazy um, and shows just how fragile Formula One car can be. Uh, so hopefully for him, he doesn't have any more bad luck and at least can finish out the final chapter of his Formula One career, most likely with uh, better results. But, you know, going back to like Ferrari, like both of them scored points, uh, Leclerc in sixth place and then uh, Carlos Sainz in eighth. So a uh, better debut for the team as a whole than what they had last year. And uh, at least for now, uh, start off with positive result and then definitely see them. Uh, hopefully they'll compete, I guess, you know, the bottom half of the top 10 get points uh, throughout the season. So uh, a lot, a lot of uh, positives uh, going around here uh, to start the season here in Formula One. Yeah. And to kind of put a bow on it in regards to the race, I mean, you had the great battle up front. You had the nightmare scenario for Aston Martin where you had Otmau or Safnau or whatever, crying wolf because of the rake of the cars and, you know, the way because of the new regulations, which the regular Mercedes and green Mercedes are kind of flatter. Um, the Red Bulls have always had more rake. Um, so that's also kind of the same thing as the Alpha Tori. And then some of the other cars have kind of had more the rear up like that because of new regulations and the floor um, being narrowed and the whole bit differences. I think Mercedes will respond. They have three weeks until um, the Parmigiano Mer. What is it? The what is it? The Parmigiano Reggiano Grand Prix at uh, Imola, and uh, they'll um, they'll have something. But the it's sad that they're going from a track that has at least two passing zones, albeit with DRS, but two passing zones. Um, they have three DRS zones, but really it's two that you can really pass at. And then you're going to Imola, which literally has one. Um, but we will see what happens. Alpha Tori had a good run there last year. Kvyat had a podium there or fourth or something like that. And the, both of them ran well. Uh, so maybe Sonoda could get his first top five finish. Um, and Gasly can have a recovery run there along with Sergio Perez, try to go and get some bigger points and maybe Ferrari and the whole bit while you have the back end runners who are trying to go like, Yak Alpha Saubers and the like trying to go and do their thing. And um, we will have part two of uh, Hamilton versus Verstappen. And can Hamilton add on to his 96 wins, 98 poles, 166 podiums, and all time leader and laps led? And after last uh, Sunday's race, with 5,129 laps led more than anybody else, anybody in the history of the sport. Um, his average finish of 4.8 and only as, uh, and has been his finished uh, 240 of his 267 starts um, for Nelson PK and go suck a, suck a dick. Um, with that, we will go to the, um, Food City Dirt Race at Bristol. It was on Monday afternoon, 200 
53 laps um, scheduled for 250, but um, Joey Logano, uh, pizza face goes and gets a win at Bristol and uh, which was, I mean, he had a long run car and it kind of worked in his favor there. He won stage two and uh, led the last, it looks like he led the last 61 laps of the race there. So um, past Nacho Libre, um, big day for track house. Um, he was up there a lot of the day from 18th, his car moved up and he was up there and like, speaking of PK, he's banging out one of PK's daughters. So that's interesting. Um, oh, Richard finished second, Hamlin third. So he's just continuing his consistent start to this, uh, 2021 season, uh, Suarez, no neck with a top five after getting run over by William Byron early in the race came back past William Byron and didn't run him over, which was surprising. Um, best run. I think Ryan Newman has had in freaking three or four years, honestly, um, best car he's had, I think in three or four years, uh, he's had good runs, I guess, but he almost, we are, we already know he almost won the Daytona 500 because, um, Fox and NBC has replayed that wreck about 8 trillion times and NASCAR as well for a PR and, uh, Will Byron sixth, Reddick seventh, Ryan Blaney coming off the Atlanta win, finished eighth, Eric Jones for the Mr. The King finished ninth, and old Clyde, um, who's going to be running an Alan Kowicki, uh, throwback. Finally, uh, Clyde runs a good throwback. It's only taken, I don't know how many years, five years, six years, whatever, for him to actually run a good throwback. Um, finished 10th, Brad Keselowski finished 11th, uh, McDowell 12th, and going through all this, Harvick 15th, Kyle Busch had issues early, was able to come all the way back on the lead lap, finished 17th, and um, Martin Truex led the most laps in the race after winning the truck race earlier in the day, and then has had tire problems uh late i think blue tire and uh finished 19th last car in the lead lap in front of chase briscoe had everything but the lottery and uh finished 20th because he got ran over twice by kevin harvick uh on um on monday afternoon so joy logano goes and wins at bristol but there was a whole lot of stuff that went on behind that in regard to some of the new teams and some of the interesting drivers that you don't usually see up front during a cookie cutter or pavement race for sure. It's definitely a different field than what we've been used to, but then, you know, in the end, a, a normal winner and Joey Logano ends up winning the race there. And uh, I think, you know, for him, uh, I guess is making history in NASCAR being the first, you know, basically in the modern era of NASCAR, first dirt race being the first winner of that. So uh, kudos to him for doing that. But, uh, you know, we talked about that Daniel Suarez um, didn't really expect him to really race on, on dirt period. And I mean, for a lot of the drivers, but never would have expected him uh, to lead 58 laps and end up ultimately finishing fourth. Um, thought there was a good chance that maybe he would have been up there for the win, but uh, just didn't quite have the handle there at the end, but he was able to, you know, use his tires and uh, save them. Uh, and that's, you know, why he was able to 
stay up in the lead for so long, but uh, then Truex kind of had the the race there initially, but then uh, you know he had a flat tire, I think, and you know didn't uh, end up winning stage two and faded at the end of the last stage there. But uh, for for uh, you know Logano, um, definitely uh, was able to outrun. Uh, Suarez was able to outrun Hamlin there at the la- last restart. So uh, a lot of uh, changes throughout the field, I guess, uh, uh, on that race. And, um, you know, I have to go back to Suarez there. I mean, they interviewed him during the red flag or during the competition yellow. And you asked him, like, do you know what you're doing out there? And he's like, I don't even know what I'm doing. So a uh, good comment there from Suarez. And I think for a lot of drivers, they probably would have said the same thing. You know, they don't really know what they're doing out there. Um, and uh, we'll have to see, you know, if they'll have that same statement uh, going into next year when they race there on the dirt again. But, uh, the, you know, the, the broadcast talk about and, you know, people on Twitter talking about, oh, like, this is like what old Bristol looked like. And I mean, that's kind of, you know, revisionist history. You know, when you think about it, like uh, how many times in the last couple of years, every time they made a change to Bristol, whether it was grinding down the pavement in uh, 2012 uh, trying to even it out and that really didn't work with making the bottom, but it made for some interesting races up top for a few years. And then Bristol was basically the first track where they introduced PJ one and gave us the opportunity to call this the grip shirt podcast eventually, and, um, made the bottom a lot more prevalent. And they're like, Oh, well it's, uh, old Bristol again. And, you know, once again, they're saying it. And, uh, I mean, that's a little, a little bit too much hype there, I think. But then also uh, the fact that, I mean, it was entertaining as a race, but the fact that they, they've had to make Bristol into a dirt track to make it look like it's raceable uh, says a lot about Bristol, how it is right now. And as, as a pavement or as a uh, concrete track configuration, and then also the you know, Gen 6 car as it is right now, uh, how bad of a race car it really is. Uh, you know, unable to race, uh, you know, on the bottom and, and not a lot of passing in general, but uh, bottom was definitely prevalent. Uh, driving, just having to slide through the corners, obviously being on dirt, having to use the bumper. Um, would have liked to see Danny Hamlin try to use the bumper on the last restart. I mean, everybody uh, thought that it was going to happen. He was going to just drive into uh, Denny Hamlin going into turn one. Um, I mean, the spotter crew chief was pumping him up on the final restart or going into that then ended up taking the top and uh, lost all his momentum and let Joey Logano get away from him and then get passed by uh, Ricky Stenhouse there. But uh, definitely interesting race. Um, I think, you know, like talking about like Bristol, how it is right now and all that stuff. Like, um, I mean, my question, I'll let you pick this up is like how viable is uh, the dirt track at Bristol and really dirt racing for the cup series in general. Um, you know, should we, go back to Bristol. I mean, obviously they already are for next year, but beyond that, like, should we go back to Bristol um, in the future as dirt configuration, then should NASCAR look into expanding to other dirt tracks, uh, you know, throughout the country, like Knoxville, or if uh, they make a deal with Tony Stewart, go back to Eldora or something like that. But, you know, one thing I'll, before I let you do that, like, you know, one racer that had a good finish or had a good race, but you know, didn't finish well as, you know, Bubba Wallace. And I talked about it last week in the preview and said he'd be a wild card. And, you know, he was there in the bottom half of the top 10, you know, running between uh, seventh and ninth place throughout most of that race. And then uh, had a flat tire after contact with Ricky Stenhouse there. And interesting enough, uh, NASCAR didn't throw the caution when uh, normally I think they would. But, you know, that's 
it's whatever. Um, you know, uh, Wallace will eventually get a top 10, but uh, shows that um, they are starting to run good. But what do you think about dirt racing and NASCAR? Yeah, I mean, you credit, you talk about the new teams and not only Trackhouse, but also 2311. They're making progress. Slow and steady. I mean, the it also like the 14 with a rookie, they're making progress too. It's slow. It's going to take time. Um, minus segments of the population who want to go and shit on Bubble Wallace. He was in the top 10 for a good amount of that race. A top 10, 15 car, track house car with Suarez and company um, was up there all day too. Um, and it's amazing. Them two diverse, them two guys are supposedly diversity guys. They can drive a race car. Oh, that's shocking. Um, in terms of dirt, they want to force anything they can, any gimmick they can find. Um, these cars are not really meant to be on dirt. They're way too heavy. Um, the tire, of course, the tire manufacturer sucks and doesn't know how to make a good tire. Uh, they don't have obviously didn't really have a great plan in regards to prep track prep. Um, they alienated uh, one of their biggest team owners who invested in his own racetrack to go and make a, a NASCAR, a NASCAR viable with air quotes racetrack, and then didn't offer him a cup or an Xfinity date. And then wonder why, you know, they had the cluster fuck that they had on Saturday at Bristol during the first heat race for the trucks before all the rain came. Um, they can say they'll go to Knoxville. I don't see, I mean, Knoxville will have better prep, of course, uh, than Bristol. I mean, Bristol's a joke now at this point. I mean, Bristol is always kind of a joke with a one groove. Um, run over people racing that they had. They had the multi groove racing, and it was actually interesting. And there was something to that, and I liked it. That was the only time in my life of being a fan of Bristol that was actually, or being a fan of of, of NASCAR, that I was a fan of Bristol. Um, and then they had to ruin it. And I mean, I'll say the great point for sure. Many great points you made. Um, grip strip wouldn't exist if it weren't for um pj1 i guess we should get whoever whoever pj1 i guess is the the name of it so we should get them to sponsor us then we'd actually really get the double deal there you know we're sponsored by the company that we basically got the name from so gotta work on that phil um i mean the fact that you're talking indycar drivers i mean i think maybe we can figure out a way to talk to the pj1 people whoever the hell makes it and I'll, I'll clean myself up just to make sure we can get PJ one to sponsor us. Sure. Get some money for that. Hell we'll be the GSP sponsored by PJ one. I'll do it for sure. I mean, I'd rather be beer, but well, I'll take PJ one, but in the greater point about dirt, I mean, I don't know how this gen seven is really going to race on dirt. Um, they didn't even test at Bristol with this package, with this situation. Are they going to test at Bristol? Are they going to test at, El, at not Eldora, Knoxville? Are they going to anywhere that's a dirt track and find a functionality between the crappy tires they have, this car? And now, the, and here's the thing 
they're gonna have to make a brand new dirt tire based on the new um rim i think it's an 18 inch rim now going on the new gen 7 uh they're gonna have to make a brand new dirt tire they're gonna have to make a brand new rain tire which is interesting since you know they're talking about running flat track with a damp surface to go and accelerate the return to racing process as um sod came up with earlier today and they're going to do a test with young money um at martinsville um you know so they're they're trying to figure out all kinds of ways um they think they're in competition with major sports but they're not um they're losing fans um people say oh it's because of the politics it's not just the politics it's a bad product and the dirt thing was a nice novelty but just like eldora um no matter how you prep the track the vehicles are not meant for that sort of racing and after a while i mean stewball uh for as much of a douche as he is and he ran over um I forget who he ran over, Eric Almirola, and caused a massive wreck. Um, in the final event there, I think it was, and he didn't even pit because he's like, why am I going to pit? Nobody's going to pass me because it's only a one-groove racetrack. In the end, at Bristol, it became a one-groove racetrack because there was no cushion, and they were running low, and they were running through ruts in the on the low line. They didn't have a multi-groove racetrack by the end of that deal. Um, they weren't able to prep it. They weren't doing any of that. And so there has to be um, multiple evaluations. We talked about it in Talking in Circles. I mentioned mentioned the Grid Talk podcast. I also mentioned Talking in Circles. Um, give them a listen. Give them a like because they're ones that support us and vice versa. Um, I'm able to go on there and we talked about it in detail about what has to happen. If dirt's dirt's going to be a thing, I, I mean, the same way as road courses are going to be a thing. It's a Jim France. Jim France is running this deal. He wants dirt quote. The fans quote end quote want dirt. I don't want cup dirt race. I can go and watch an effing world of outlaws race. If I want a dirt race, I'm going to watch a world of outlaws car a late model, freaking modified, 358 modified, or I'll watch a midget sprint car, silver crown car. I don't need a freaking cup car on a freaking dirt track. It was cool. It was nice. It was different. But my life ain't gonna, my life ain't changing because you had NASCAR on dirt. It's the same way as, or cup on dirt or whatever. It's a novelty act. It's having too many road courses is a novelty act. The reality is have courses that suit your race cars, plus actually have a logical plan to go and manage races on that particular racetrack, which they never have had and never will. Because they go and call four lap cautions at Road America, which is a four mile racetrack, um, which is going to be atrocious here in a few months when they run um road america um for the cup series because they're too stupid to figure out what a local yellow is um i guess we'll find out and we'll see how they dictate things i think we'll find out more at knoxville when they run the trucks there which is going to be interesting because 
Um, Eldora has banking, a lot more banking than Knoxville does, and a lot more banking or 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 a lot less banking than Bristol. But you know, the, the thing in regards to that, it's more of a flatter racetrack. So I'm curious to see how the trucks will handle um, the Great Knoxville Raceway, um, the home of the Knoxville Nationals for the World of Outlaws. Um, in the Sprint Car Hall of Fame, where uh, one of my favorite drivers, late great Brian Clawson, recently inducted there. That's a bucket list place for me. Um, we'll see how the trucks race there uh, for sure, and that's where we'll go next. Martin Truex hadn't driven a truck in years or whatever it is and went out in the Kyle Busch 51 and uh, dominated that deal for a guy that never driven on dirt before. Uh, for a good few hours on Monday afternoon, Josh Martin Truex looked like uh, Jimmy Horton out there and was leading and was on on point for sure. Uh, dominated that truck race, but I think the other angle we have to look at, not just the fact that Martin Truex destroyed, is that Ben Rhodes, this Ben Rhodes John Hunter Nemechek deal. I think it has staying power. I mean, I personally believe John Hunter is going to win this championship, no problem. But Ben Rhodes is running at a different level this year. Toyota, of course, is at a different level. They've put in more investment in the truck series. And it's at the detriment, of course, to, which is typical Toyota. But Ford, the Ford teams are struggling. And, the I mean, you lose store sport to Toyota. That's a big problem. Um, David Gillen's team is not there. And then you have Chevy, of course you have GMS, but really outside of GMS, they're up against it too. So what are you looking at in regards to, of course, Truex one, I mean, it's whatever, it's the Kyle Busch 51 truck. You just kind of expect that to happen. You wouldn't expect Truex on dirt, but whatever. And, um, you know, when, terms of this points battle and what the manufacturer battle looks like it's Toyota or nobody else really at this point. Yeah. For the battle between Ben Rhodes and John Henry Michek, like, you know, we wouldn't have expected Ben Rhodes to be this good uh, starting out the season. Um, But then again, you look at his results the last year or two, um, it was kind of there. He just needed a little bit more consistency needed time to figure it out. So uh, if he's able to stay up in the points lead or uh, be a you know top three in points throughout the entire year, uh, it's a major improvement for him uh, in the truck series and also as a driver in general. Um, hasn't really been that great of a driver uh, his entire career in the truck series. So um, if he's able to do that, good for him. But John Hermanichek kind of had a setback this weekend uh, or on Monday, getting wrecked and finishing in 39th place and. Um, one or had seven points, but definitely a setback for him for sure. And uh, had an incident, I guess, with uh, Matt Craft and also was involved in that Tyler Ankrum and uh, Derek Krause there. So that was uh, not good for him, but um, hopefully for him, it's a, a one off deal and he's able to get back to his form the next race. Uh, but for you know, that points battle, it's going to be interesting to see um, if uh, one's able to win more races than the other and um, how many stages can they win, uh, I guess, collectively. And 
because uh, that's going to definitely be a, a factor going into truck series playoffs in the fall um, who ends up being the the points leader and uh, we'll have to see if you know, Kyle Busch enters more races is he going to help or continue to help out John Hermichek like he's done at other races uh, like at Atlanta uh, earlier this year so um, we'll have to see how that tallies out and then who ends up being the uh, truck uh, points leader at the end of the regular season but then you know with, throughout this race uh, we would have expected some of the dirt experts to be up there but they weren't uh, Kyle Larson you know he ended up finishing 35th and crashed out of the race and didn't lead any laps and I would have expected him to you know be in the top five or at least and compete for race win um, but he didn't and wasn't really even that close uh, Sheldon Creed led like 30 laps and uh, didn't uh, end up even finishing the top 10 and I think you, know, you talk about the points battle I think that's another guy you have to look out for because he obviously he's already won the championship last year and uh, hasn't been quite as good I think to start this year um, but you know again it's kind of a anomaly type of race uh, with Bristol being on dirt I mean they will return to uh, Knoxville later in the year so you know, like you said earlier it'll be interesting to see how the truck series races uh, on Knoxville which has straights and a lot more narrower uh, turns than Eldora. Eldora is more of a kind of almost a circular racetrack and has a lot of banking so it helps the trucks um, race on dirt there where Knoxville they're going to have a you know a lot of speed going into the turns and um, it's going to be a challenge for them to make that narrow entry uh, and you know keep it sideways throughout the corner so we'll have to see what happens in that race later on this year um, that's going to be more of a disaster if it looks a lot more competent and we're not giving these drivers enough credit uh, to race on dirt so we'll have to see there but uh, we'll have to for you know John Hummer Nemechek um, and Ben Rhodes um, it's going to be interesting to see how they battle throughout the rest of the regular season and I mean, we have to include, you know, uh, Sheldon Creed in that as well. But um, some of the some of the other guys in this series, like, not sure how it's going to turn out for them. I mean, Zane Smith, another guy that could potentially be a title contender, Grant Infinger, going to be going throughout different rides to have a chance throughout the season to have a, a shot at the title. So um, those guys, I mean, both finished top 10, but you have to wonder throughout the rest of the year, like, how well are they going to match up to Ben Rhodes and John Hernivichek? Yeah, it's the with the way truck series. I mean, they'll be running in Richmond in a couple of weeks' time. They're not going to be um, or Martinsville. I don't know. You 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 can. I'm going and blanking out here randomly. But in regards to the next truck race, I think they're not running Martinsville. They're running Richmond, and that's in. In a couple weeks' time, the Xfinity Series, their next race is Martinsville, and that'll be on Friday night, April 9th. So, okay, so there you go. Um, they'll be back at Martinsville, and I think um, Noah Gregson's probably going to get sent in the fence, which would be great. Um, yeah, the Truck Series, we'll see. I think it. we've kind of already, it's very early, but you kind of have a trend in regards to the Toyotas, um, Raphael Lassard was able to get a third place finish. Um, Briscoe got a top five for Corey Roper, Cody Roper, whatever. Um, 
which in Todd Gillen got a top five, but not consistent, uh, which is the problem. You need consistency and Denny Hamlin's proof. He's kind of doing the Dale Earnhardt thing where you get top fives, top tens, and really accumulate a lot of points. That's one way to kind of manipulate the stage points um, in that if you get great finishes, even with the state and get stage points, do forget it. But if you get good finishes, um, no neck did that to go and make the playoffs a couple of years ago for Roush. Um, you can go and really um, give yourself huge points um, gaps to whoever else you're driving around. And um, the, the wreck for Nemechek definitely tightened up the point standings um, in regards to the current point standings. John Hunter is only now six points ahead of Ben Rhodes, but um, same amount of playoff points. Um, John Hunter has five stage wins to the Ben Rhodes of none. Uh, he has all his playoff points from his two wins. So five stage points, stage wins, plus the one win for John Hunter there. And then you, of course, have Kyle Busch and you have, um, you have uh, Kyle Busch and Martin Truex, who won the other two races and won three stages across the two Gibbs guys there. So, and then you have Raphael Assard, who has two stage wins. So that's actually an interesting thing there, too. Lassard, can he go and get his GMS truck up there? Uh, Sheldon Creed's third in points, defending series champion. Zane Smith's seventh in points. Um, and, of course, the top ten make it into the playoff. Um, known dipshit Austin Wayne self is on the cutoff right now. Um, ahead of another dipshit and Johnny Sauter, um, Josevar, uh, running for rookie of the year's 12th, um, Moffitt running for, for, um, um, niece. He's running, he's 13th, Lassard, Chandler Smith. You have Tanner Gray, Ryan Truex, um, Chase Purdy, who's running a GMS truck, Krause in 20th. Um, Miss Hummer wannabe in 21st ahead of um, the likes of Roball, Fogelman, Peters, and uh, those kind of people. Um, Tyler Ankrum's season has been a disaster, absolute disaster. Uh, I don't even know if he's going to run the whole year. I'm, I guess he will because he has the money, but... What a nightmare scenario that is. It's like Eric Almirola's situation where you have such a horrible start to the year. Like, there's no point. Um, right now, he has 50 points, and the cutoff right now is 111 points. So he's 61 points back of the, of the freaking cutoff. I mean, literally, it's, it's, it's a race and a half. He needs to win somehow or another. Needs to put a race together and win, or else Tyler Ankrum is probably not going to have a career. But I guess we will see how that all goes uh, somehow later on in the uh, rest of the season. They'll be back at Richmond here in a few weeks' time. 
next thing we'll do is the roundup in regards to last weekend's events at um, in at Losail International Circuit in Qatar, the MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3, first of two weeks there. Um, the MotoGP race was an epic battle between the uh, Ducatis and the Yamahas, as mentioned. Maverick Vinales gets the win over Johan Zarco by just over a second. Peko Bagnaya finishes third on his factory Ducati debut. World champion Joanne Mir finishes fourth after being second, got passed by both Ducatis. Fabio Quattararo in his debut for the factory Yamaha team finished fifth. Alex Rins for Suzuki sixth. Alex Espargaro and his brother Polis Pargaro on the Honda. So the Aprilia and the Honda, um, seventh and eighth. And then Jack Miller on the Ducati, ninth. And Nia Bastaini uh, on a Ducati finished 10th. Um, Braddle, Stefan Braddle filling in for Mark Marquez, who will miss the first two Grand Prix of the season. Uh, finished 11th. Valentino Rossi, the legend, uh, GOAT. Um, finished 12th in his debut for Patronus team. Uh, Miguel Oliveira and Brad Binder, the Red Bull KTM riders, 13 and 14. Jorge Martin, the Premac Ducati teammate to Zarco, gets the last point. And you had other guys like Franco Morbidelli won multiple Grand Prix last year. No points. Um, you had... Iker Lacuona, Luca Marini, uh, Lorenzo Salvadori on the Aprilia, the two uh, Honda, uh, Grassini Honda teammates, Alex Marquez and Taka Nakagami crashed along with Danilo Petrucci on the KTM who crashed on, didn't even get a lap in um, and crashed out of the race. But Maverick Vinales was able to go and um, get through. He started on the front row with his teammate, Quattraro, but, you know, those those Ducatis were really, really fast, and Jack Miller was up there. Bagnaia got the pole. Uh, Zarco was sixth. It was a real battle there. Um, Morbidelli uh, was up there, but then ended up, you know, kind of binning it the way he kind of usually does. Honda's on the back foot, but there we'll see what Mark Marquez will do once he returns. Um, can he just go and flip it back to what the usual usual deal was when he was around? It's part of what makes the MotoGP World Championship. It's been interesting most of last year for basically the entire um, championship last year, and then going into this year because he's away. It's the same way as Lewis Hamilton being on the back foot. Um, having him struggle uh, makes things more interesting and uh, for good or bad or whatever. If you, if you hate, hate Mark Marquez, it's the same way as you don't like Lewis Hamilton. Well, now things are a little more interesting. Um, looks like Red Bull is going to be, making improvements to their car uh, to 
go and answer Mercedes in regards to Imola, the Parmigiano-Reggiano Grand Prix. I'll be coming up in a few weeks' time. Uh, Pro Drive, Dave Richards is going to be joining Lewis Hamilton's Extreme E program. Uh, the, you know, I'm trying to f- – what's her name? I want to go and give her credit because she bangs out um, Dakar Rally uh, ch- overall champion uh, Ricky Brayback because uh, I'm on her Insta. I follow her Instagram, and she's sexy for a race car driver. I mean, not a great face, but, you know, she's sexy for a race car driver. I'm just going through. I'm trying to swipe through. This is the professional broadcast that you expect here on the Grip Strip Podcast. Me going through my freaking Instagram to go and figure out who I'm going to go and talk about because I don't really mess with my Instagram. Sarah Price, (laughs) that's her name. Yeah, Sarah Price, um, who when you dollar up she's pretty good looking but ricky brabeck's um plus one for sure um he's a beast himself and she's a beast she's gonna be running for chip ganassi's extreme program with uh kyle LaDuke. so that's gonna be a tough that'll be the gmc e hummer uh team which the first e a GMC E Hummer, whatever, whatever the hell they were calling it, sold for like a couple million, 2.5 or something in at auction uh, for charity uh, at Barrett Jackson last week. Um, my buddy Chuck was there with his smoking hot daughter. Um, she was working the show and or she was VIP or whatever, and she was sitting there. He kept on going everything that involved Ford Broncos because I guess he has a thing with them Ford Broncos being he's much older and he loved those old school Ford Broncos. And that one went for a couple million dollars, too. Um, going to the Moto2 results at uh, Losail, Qatar, Sam Lowe's, the British uh, rider, finished uh, with the win there. Remy Gardner finished second. Uh, his dad, the legendary uh, world champion Wayne Gardner, uh, came from sixth to second. Lowe's started on pole, finished, and won the race. And then uh, D. G. Antonio finished third after starting seventh. And Joe Roberts, the American, finished fifth after starting uh, or finished sixth after starting fifth, uh, which whatever, he's running for a a championship level team. So that's uh, something we'll see how that goes. Uh, Multiple um, Moto America champion, one of the best talents we've had in a long, long time, uh, Cameron Bobier. Moved over to Moto2 this year, um, had a brutal uh, qualifying, and um, he had a brutal qualifying, and he was able to go from 20th to um, to sick or clicked on the wrong thing. Um, 
he was able to go from 20th to or 22nd to 11. So he got points in his debut. I feel like um, Cameron Bobier, as the season goes on, is going to be able to uh, compete. It's a long season going all over the world. Um, they're not going to be coming to the States this year, which is a bummer, but hopefully um, one or both of those guys is in MotoGP on a proper motorcycle uh, so that Americans can get back to where they belong on the world stage in Grand Prix um, motorcycle racing because, frankly, um, it's been way too long uh, for an American to be up front and contending uh, there in the um, MotoGP uh, World Championship. Um, from there, we'll go into the Indy cars. And I'll throw it to you, Josh. I know that uh, push to pass, they talked about that and they had testing, and I guess the returns were not great. Um, I mean, I look at it this way the Indy 500, it's the greatest race that exists in our country. Um, it's the biggest race. It's historic, everything. Um, I guess, and, and then aside, I'll, I'll bring this up as somebody, for somebody in regards to Indy, somebody who's never won Indy, but as, as a driver, but has won it a bunch as an owner, Michael Andretti is going to be making a return to driving with the great, motorsport announcer and driver in his own right and his time um in australia for um whatever however many years neil crompton's the voice of supercars and neil crompton and michael andretti are going to be running a wild card walkinshaw andretti united supercar at the bathurst 1000 this year which is insane um I'm sure they're going to have the the freaking walkers and everything for both for Crompo and for Michael um, because they need all the Asper cream and Ben Gay to get into the freaking cars. Um, it's kind of like how Michael Waltrip's gay ass is trying to get into an SRX car. Um, like all these other fat old people that they're getting in SRX. Like, I think that's what it is. It's like, okay, we have all these old Jerry's running an SRX and then Michael Andretti's like, Oh, I can go and race a car. And he was giving shit to Zach Brown too. in the promotion towards that, that only came out a couple hours ago. So see that one that, that was on the V8 supercars, um, uh, YouTube. Um, because I mean, supercars, you got to follow it, even though Ford's going to lose this year, but whatever. Um, that's because Scott McLaughlin moved to Indy cars. Um, but yeah, Crompo making a return to actual racing, um, it's been, I don't know how many years for Crompo, uh, and you know, it was hilarious when he tried to do the sim racing thing and he rate, he was not happy. And I think he took a, a flight to outer space on one of those races that he did the one race he did at Bathurst. And now he's going to get into a proper, um, car that doesn't exist in Australia anymore in a Holden uh, with Michael Andretti's fat ass who hasn't driven a car since 2006. 
Uh, it's 15 years ago. It was the last time that I can remember Michael Andretti jumping in a race car when he ran Indy with um, Marco and Marco um, Marco's soul was taken away by Sam Hornish Jr. in the Indianapolis 500. Um, I mean, what a little talent that Marco probably had went away with that too, but um, that's crazy in its own right. It's a deviation. I had to deviate from that, but in regards to Indy, are we looking, it, it does push to pass. I mean, do we really need push to pass at Indy and yes or no. And I guess for you, Josh, you're more of the engineering side. Is there an, another way to maybe possibly make a better show? Um, based on the current rules that IndyCar has at Indy for the Indianapolis 500? Yeah, it's an interesting question there for push to pass, should it exist at Indy. And with the push to pass, and I mean, it's part of the uh, Kerr's, uh formula, I guess, engine formula that they're going to go with uh, in 2023 for the IndyCar series in general. Um, it's going to have horsepower or more horsepower than what they have right now and have you know 100 more horsepower than what they have uh i guess currently right now they're trying to aim for around 900 and you know qualifying it's going to be exciting um seeing them try to at least reach the track record or or something like that at least for a single lap speed but for the racing itself um i don't know if uh, they should do push to pass i mean uh it would be interesting to see what that would look like uh, in race conditions, but at the same time, like, I feel like it would be too much like, you know, Talladega race or Daytona, um, well, more like Talladega and kind of the, what we've seen lately with NASCAR super speedway, where, you know, one car gets a huge run and it's really hard to stop him. And I feel like, you know, with IndyCar, like, uh, I mean, obviously the one, both everybody would have pushed to pass, but you know, one car is able to get a good run on the back straight or on the front straight and is able to do a dive bomb or, you know, try to go around the outside uh, in one of those turns, turn one and two and three. Um, it would make for, you know, a lot of yo-yo moments, I guess, where meaning like cars just going back and forth, uh, swapping positions. So it might be entertaining, but is it within the spirit of the race? Uh, I'm not sure. It's a tough question to ask. And, you know, with uh, arrow changes and stuff, um, I mean, I think Alexander Rossi was saying, you know, there should be tweaks to their dynamics to make it more exciting, uh, to make it easier to pass uh, in the race. And, you know, the last couple of years with the new uh, low downforce configuration, you know, there's been some moments where uh, uh, it's been entertaining to watch. I mean, Rossi, 2018, 2019, Indy 500s, both entertaining affairs where he was able to go from 32nd to 4th in uh, 2018, and that was because the low downforce car being able to really work that car on the restarts and really utilize the low line, but and on the outside line too, and on those restarts. But at the same time, you know, when you get into the middle of a run, uh, a lot of times the leader kind of checks out, and it's really hard to make up time and make passes. Um, so I think maybe it's better to just have an arrow change rather than push to pass because I feel like especially on ovals, they never implemented it before. And I guess now they're finally thinking about it, but like it's a, uh, makes it more gimmicky. I guess if, if we start doing push to pass, whereas arrow tweak, um, it's already there, it exists. Um, and so it's, it's not like, Oh, I can just, you know, 
just get a boost in the middle of a run or, you know, in the middle of a uh, back straight or whatever. It's like you really have to use your skills as a driver to be able to still time those runs and, and um, you know, suck up behind a car or, or figure out how to defend. Um, and I feel like with pushed pass, it just brings it up to another level that maybe is unnecessary. Um, but I think, you know, if they want to look at aero models to go after to make it easier to pass, I mean, we had the Hanford model or the Hanford device from the late 90s and some of the greatest uh, super speedway races that we've ever seen in CART and uh, American open wheel racing in general uh, have come from the Hanford device, you know, the 1998, 1999, Michigan 500, uh, 2000 Michigan 500, uh, Fontana, when they raced there from you know, 1998 to 2002, had the Hanford era uh, device there on the on the rear wing, which you know, what that did was um, increase drag on the straights, then it lowered uh, downforce in the corners. And I feel like in general for, you know, for IndyCar racing on ovals and, you know, exp- extend that to NASCAR. I think that's um, how you make uh, the draft more relevant and at least make it fair, I guess. Although that one was a little bit of gimmick as well, but you know, it, it wouldn't be the um, push to pass. Um, but, you know, I, I guess for qualifying, it would be exciting to have more horsepower, but then I don't know if it's you know, a benefit for the race, but it'll be interesting to see uh, what they end up doing. Um, I mean, 2014, 2012, um, the early DW12 era, we had the the uh, rear pods, I guess, and you know some people call them the Kardashians. I mean, that's what I've heard one sim racer call that. But uh, you know that that really helped the draft uh, at Indianapolis and Fontana and Pocono, um, being able to really get behind another car and use the draft that way because it created a lot of drag and you know also had a lot of downforce. I mean. The uh, the arrow kit era was also pretty entertaining because they still had that you know those rear bumpers there, but you know once they got away from that and went back to low downforce, that's kind of when um, I guess the passing started to be uh, I guess less occurring I guess, but they've got to find a happy medium between that uh, what we have right now and I guess what we had in 2012 through 2015 or extend that to you know 2017 I guess. Yeah, the I don't know about push to pass, especially on big ovals. I think if they were running short ovals, which of course they're not, other than Gateway, um, Worldwide Technology Raceway, if they're running at Phoenix or New Hampshire, or any number of ovals that they used to run at, I think push to pass would be a thing. Running push to pass at a track where you're going 220 plus miles an hour in race pace, two fifteens, whatever in race pace, I feel like is kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm a racing fan for a long time. I think you're kind of getting into not only gimmicks, you're getting into a danger as, as maggot moron, um, Paul Tracy would say the danger zone. Um, that's probably not where you need to go. If you really need to go that far, you need to start analyzing, um, putting a wicker, putting a gurney flap on the back, akin to, as Josh said, with the Hanford device. You're not going to put that big freaking, you're not going to, it's like ba- having a basically a big tray on the back of sorts, like whatever. Um, 
it's kind of like IRL like I mean but IRL was like you had basically a lunch tray on the back of the car and they had I think they had a wicker on it too and they had no horsepower and they had the they sounded like cup cars and they were slow and they ran and it was like having Daytona and Talladega Texas or whatever racetrack and they had humongous wrecks most of the time um and that's not what you want. You want to be able to race. You want to be able to pass somebody and be able to get away from them. There is that. Um, I also can say that I was very entertained by those races at Indianapolis. And I'm not even a fan of those. I'm not even a fan of plate racing. I never will be. But at least with Indy, there's more precision involved because you know that if you make one wrong move i mean you're taking off and you're flying off into into bolivian you know like there's something there's danger involved with, that. with cup guys they don't give a crap or xfinity your trucks they'll just run over each other until the end of time they don't care because they got fenders and they're inside and the whole thing um we'll see about i don't think push to pass is um, going to happen at least not for this year maybe with further testing um, they might look at it for 2022 as a precursor to the curves um, the the standard curve system that they're going to have um, coming in 2023 with the next car um, in regards to uh paint schemes in regards to a car flying off into the sunset. Um, Connor Daly coming through as usual, um, fan favorite, um, always the underdog, always been an underdog. Um, his dad's a great man himself, but the U.S. Air Force car um, this year is going to be outstanding um, by Bordy purchased the 164 of that um and there's other paint schemes great paint schemes. I mean, johnson's paint schemes are nice um new garden new garden uh what do you call you got um scotty mclaughlin's ppg car which is no different from previous but it's like for me as a scotty fan i bought both the 64 and the 24 of that I mean, there's a, I mean, the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan team is running throwbacks because they're 30 years since the start of the organization when it was Ray Hall Hogan. And so now they're running all kinds of throwbacks based on their current schemes, current sponsors. A lot of Miller Lite throwbacks to Bob Ray Hall. Um, a lot of cool schemes. I mean, this year's IndyCar series, I mean, we, we're still a few weeks away, unfortunately, from the season opener, but there are going to be a lot of good-looking race cars for sure. Um, uh, but, yeah, the Air Force car, U.S. Air Force car for Connor Daly is outstanding. Yeah, I agree. And you know, it's a good tribute to the, you know, the Northrop Grumman B-2 Spirit Bomber. Um, great plane. Uh, and it's a very you know technological uh innovation there uh with you know how that works but the paint scheme itself um great tribute to you know that plane and 
it's going to be a pretty sight there on the track. And I mean, I myself would probably have to get a, a die cast of that. Um, I actually don't have any IndyCar die casts right now, so maybe be the first one that I actually buy. So have to get that. But you know, a lot of the paint schemes that we talked about. Um, I think um, you know, Scotty McLaughlin's got his helmet as a tribute to um, I think you know the yellow submarine. And there's like well, that's for the Indy 500. Yeah. He's going to yeah. continue running because he's running yeah. the three car. Um, they're going to continue the Pennzoil, um, Rick Mears, Yellow Submarine um, thing. So that's awesome. And that's probably more money I'm going to end up losing because the three car always runs different paint schemes. And, yeah, that's just the same thing as being a Ryan Blaney person where he has like 18 sponsors. But, I mean, I mean, if he wins Indy 500, it's one thing. I don't think he's going to win it as a rookie, but it wouldn't be shocking to me. But the yellow submarine, unlike when Elio Castro-Neves ran it, I kind of want to look at that one now that Scotty's in the car. Um, you know, the you paddle award and, and Felix Rosenquist with kind of the alternate Felix Rosenquist running blue, um, paddle award running black, and then you have the orange accents on the... Um, Arrow McLaren SP uh, team going into 2021. Uh, you have uh, Roman Grosjean running the same uh, paint scheme basically as um, Cody Ware with um, the that, Rick Ware what, special. <laughs> yeah, the whatever the medical, medical, whatever the, the, med or whatever bull crap that they have that they sponsor i mean roman grosjean as much as people goof on him roman grosjean actually has talent so i mean i don't know i guess he decided he'd go and sell out just like james davison so um yeah i mean oh look at that printable coloring sheets of ray hall and sato's race cars mm-hmm. that's interesting on indycar.com yeah, that's that's a way to do it for sure. Um, digital out, yeah, for Takuma Sato, people ready Takuma Sato. That's a cool. That looks like the Miller. That looks like the MGD car that uh, Bob Ray Hall had. It looks like a lot of them are the Miller Light, kind of a throwback to the Miller Light cars that uh, Bob Ray Hall drove, and then you have the one that. Takuma Sato is going to be trying to defend his Indy 500 in. That looks like the MGD car. Yeah, so you got to give Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan credit on creativity. You know, you have Andretti Autosport kind of sticking to the usual. Um, Ryan Hunter Ray with his DHL car. Uh, Alexander Rossi with the Napa car, basically the same. Uh, the Auto Nation Sirius XM car deviates a little bit from Jack Harvey's um, because of the pink or different shade of pink and the gray. Uh, and other, I mean, I'm trying to think who else is there. You, you have um, Colton driving the the 26 car now. Um, I forget what the... It's some lone freaking gimmick, but um, 
I'm trying to remember what his sponsor is, but you have that and you have some of the other cars, some of the ones that have stayed the same. And then you have some that have uh, changed a little bit. Of course, Hinch driving the Steinbrenner car this year with Genesis, a Gainbridge for um, Colton Herta. Um, Ed Jones will be in the Sealmaster car. Tony Kanan driving the American Legion car. That's that's funny. Um, Jimble Kimball uh, running a limited schedule. Scotty Pound, Juan Pablo Monterrier, Alex Pillow in the NTT data car. And then, yeah, Renus VK. He has a cool looking car this year as well. A lot of good space games. Yeah, and um, wanted to get this in on the roundup. Uh, Garrett Gerloff, uh, who's running in uh, the World Superbike Championship. Again, uh, this second season for him, the former Moto America rider for Yamaha, will um, be riding in uh, for the not the full factory outfit, the young riders team. And he is um, third and after day one testing, Jonathan Ray, who's won like eight trillion championships and races and whatever. Leon Haslam, former teammate of Jonathan Ray, now at Honda, Leon Haslam, uh, his dad, Ron Haslam, former uh, Moto or Grand Prix rider. Um, he's second and Garrett Gerloff is third. Um Jonathan Ray's uh, closest competitor last year was Scott Redding, the former MotoGP rider, um, riding for Ducati. And Tom Sykes in fifth, former teammate, former world champion of uh, John, former world champion and former teammate with Jonathan Ray in fifth on the BMW. Um, his new teammate, Jonas Folger, former Moto2 uh, standout, um, seventh. Michael Rubin Rinaldi in eighth on the Ducati, Chaz Davies, who was they basically swap rides, eighth and ninth there. Alvaro Bautista, a couple of years ago, made his debut in World Superbikes uh, for Ducati and had a great run. Alex Lowe's is running Kawasaki. Um, uh, that's that's interesting. Michael Vandermark. So Got to look at Garrett Gerloff. There are Americans that are trying to get back to the um, top of motorcycle racing. Um, Pato Award uh, led the test uh, today in regards to the Indy cars at 222.25 miles an hour, and uh, which. And then you have Alexander Rossi, Jack Harvey, Simon Pagino, Will Power, top five. 17 drivers were in this test. Um, you have guys coming back to do rookie orientation. So you have Ed Jones, who's doing a refresher, Pietro Fittipaldi um, returning for um, oval substitute as for Roman Grosjean, along with balancing being the test and reserve driver for Putin Haas. And then Cody Ware is also going to be running. So that'll be interesting. Um, 
you got guys like Graham Rehoff, you had people buried there. Joseph Newgarden was ninth. Um, Scotty in 12th, Takua Sato. I mean, it's it's tough. If you're missing it by a bunch, it's going to be a problem. Uh, Indy cars this year, it's become one of, if not the most competitive championship in motorsports, and it always follows through. Uh, you have you have the the fact that Pat Award is going to be a favorite for this championship um, if they go and support him and let it let him ride it out all the way because um, he's one of the best young towns that exists. Uh, we'll go to football. Um, before we go here tonight and before we get to Josh's um, iRacing and Sim segment. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll throw to you first since we know now for sure that um, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick. But in I think we all knew that a while ago. But what is what do you think? the plan is outside of that to go and solidify a roster around him so that he doesn't get killed um, like Joe Burrow did um, in Cincinnati, getting him an offensive line and getting him some receivers and tight ends to be able to compete in the AFC South this year and now a 17-game season, as they announced today. It'll be 17 full regular season games with three uh, preseason games uh, in 2021 for the first time. Yeah, for the Jaguars, um, obviously we knew since the very end of the last season that uh, they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. And uh, I think it was very clear now that they are uh, after Urban Meyer uh, did not attend the pro days for Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. Uh, I think it was there for the Ohio State uh, pro day, but I mean, I don't think he was really looking at uh, Justin Fields there, but uh, the question is, is what are they going to do around uh, Trevor Lawrence and um, don't know exactly what they're going to do at number 25. And then they've got uh, two picks in the second round. So a lot of opportunity to go offense uh, uh, there. I mean, they could go running back, um, get a, a complimentary piece for James Robinson. You know, he's a kind of a tough running back. You know, they need a elusive back, you know, somebody that can uh do receiving uh, carries and uh, do, you know, the, the third down running back, I guess, like kind of like how, you know, how we had Maurice Jones drew was the kind of the speed back and also kind of a power back, but also, uh, you know, we had Fred Taylor, who was more of the power back uh, towards the end of his career. And maybe we can have that kind of dynamic uh, going in Jacksonville. Um, maybe they go tight end try to get Kyle Pitts uh, somehow. Maybe they trade up from 25 and get back in the top 10 somehow. I don't know. Uh, that'd be a really, really nice if they could do that, but it's probably going to be asking a lot uh, as Kyle Pitts probably goes top 10, which is uh, kind of rare for a tight end, but uh, he's got tremendous talent. I mean, he's almost a wide receiver, so uh, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, they could go wide receiver also, um, get, get somebody on the outside, a, a complimentary piece to DJ Chark. Um, they've got... Uh, LaVisca uh, Chenault as uh, a slot receiver also goes outside, but I mean, they've got to get, you know, another guy that's got really 
really good burner speed, I guess. Um, they don't, you know, Chark has got speed, Chenault's got speed, but um, they need somebody who's like uh, kind of that uh, Tyreek Hill type uh, that, you know, really can take the top off the defense, you know, Randy Moss uh, type receivers. So interesting you see there, I mean, they could do a defense as well. Um, uh, you know, they need defensive line depth. Um, you know, they need some uh, secondary help to uh, – got a decent secondary now with the signing of Shaq Barrett, you know, CJ Henderson from last year, uh, Jared Wilson at safety is pretty decent. So have to see there what they do um, on defense throughout the draft. Um, but offensive line, I think is a lot better than what they give credit for Jacksonville. Um, Minshew uh, had a lot of sacks, but that's because he's kind of a scrambling quarterback. Um, I mean, he's a pocket passer, but uh, you know, he's more of someone who relies more on improvisation um, Mike Glennon, uh, kind of a, a statue uh, in the pocket and got sacked a lot. Uh, so uh, I think it's a lot better than what they, you know, give credit for. I think they franchise tag uh, Cam Robinson. Um, I think they restructured Andrew Norwell. Uh, Brandon, Brandon, uh, I can't remember, 65, Brandon Miller, I think that's his name, uh, is the best, uh, one of the best centers in the league, I think. Um, and, you know, on the right side of the, uh, offensive line the uh, Jaywan Taylor who's uh, one of the better young right tackles didn't have a really great season last year but um he had a great rookie season so um I think he'll probably have a uh, better improvement I guess as they go throughout uh you know the year uh going into football so um it'll be interesting to see outside of Trevor Lawrence who they go with um really don't know but um hopefully they have a good draft and uh build uh, a good team and have a definitely will have a better season than what they had last year. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think for Jacksonville, it's the start of a new era and having Trevor Lawrence as your face. Uh, first time since probably Mark Brunel was there in those early nineties or late nineties kind of start, start of the century. Jacksonville teams where you're going to have a quarterback that you can hitch a wagon to. Uh, you did have the run a few years ago, and basically everybody that you had on that defense is on other teams now. Um, but, and of course, you have Allen Robinson who plays for Chicago. So, I mean, every player, I think virtually every player that mattered when you went to that AFC championship game probably should have won that one against New England is helping other teams, which is a shame because that shows how good for a while the drafting and development of talent was. I think if Urban Meyer um, is going to do it the right way, which would be a first time since he was at Utah, um, it would be something uh, for Jacksonville, one of the smaller market teams um, with the shot of the, the – their, Chad Khan, the cons are going and they have the wrestling gimmick going on with AEW too and trying to go and figure out if they're going to be in Jacksonville or try to play in London. They don't know what the hell they're doing with that. But Trevor Lawrence's box office and he's one of the best quarterbacks I've seen in a long time. Um, and speaking of quarterbacks, you know, number two, the Jets with Bob Sala and company. Uh, it seems like 
they're going to go with Zach Wilson, the BYU quarterback. Uh, personally, because of my bias, I'm hoping that they don't and they stick with Sam Darnold or they go with the tackle, uh, Panay Sewell, and um, solidify the offensive line because they got a guy that's basically not as subhuman on the right side. Um, I'm forgetting what the hell his name is, but the guy is like, like 400 pounds and he's like six foot eight. Um, he's not, that shouldn't It's just insane. Uh, if they go and get another tackle there, um, I could probably play quarterback and I have no mobility. I have a bad back, bad knees, uh, bad ankles. And I think I could go and function and Bob Sala and, um, what's Mike LaFleur's offense, which would be a similar offense as to what the guy who's going to be drafting number three uh, will be, which the 49ers are. Um, big news on Friday uh, when they decided to trade with the Miami Dolphins, traded three ones. Uh, the one, they swapped ones with uh, Miami this year meaning Miami went back to 12. They ended up coming back to six uh, with Philadelphia. So in the end, um, swapped out from 12 to three, gave up first rounders the next two years and a couple of thirds, um, including the third for Bob Sala's compensation from the Jets to go and move up to three overall. The talk between Chris Sims, who's, supposedly one of Kyle Shanahan's best friends and um, Dan Orlovsky. They all say Mac Jones, a quarterback from Alabama. Uh, That makes me physically ill because to me, Mac Jones, he plays for Alabama. And if the only Alabama quarterback that anybody knows of that was like a legend is fucking Joe Namath. And more people know Joe Namath for going and being drunk and wanting to go and kiss Susie Goldberg. Um, Not the fact that he was a legendary quarterback. Uh, I don't really want Mac Jones personally. I wanted, I want Trey Lance, which Dan Orlowski mentioned on the Pat McAfee show. It's basically Mac Jones. Most people think because of Shani, He wants Mac Jones. So basically he's hoping he'll have Matt Ryan 2.0, which is fine and well, but the way the league's moving, you need a more athletic quarterback, somebody that can run bootlegs, that can run a little bit, that can go and has a live arm um, like a Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he's not known as somebody who's going to run for a lot of yards, but he can. Um, Mac Jones is not that kind of guy. He's more of an inside stay in the pocket presence, uh, bigger body, uh, similar to the Mannings of the world. Uh, but you have Trey Lance, who's an athletic freak. You have um, Zach Wilson, who's a little short, shorter stature-wise, but fits the mold in every other aspect. Um Trey Lance is an athletic freak. He reminds me of a combination of uh, Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, 
excuse me, you know, and you have the opportunity to develop somebody and make him into an elite quarterback. And Josh Allen took this huge leap last year, and I think he's just going to continue to grow because they're building around him in Buffalo. Um, If Kyle Shanahan wants to really prove how good of a coach he is, you draft Trey Lance. You go and draft him. You put Jimmy G there. You keep him there. Let him go and set the table. Go and run it out. Um, when he goes and gets hurt, which he will, um, you put Trey Lance in there, and it would be similar to Colin Kaepernick, except Trey Lance is going to stick. Um, he has the arm talent, he has the athleticism, he has the mental ability, and he's going to be able, and he has the pieces too, unlike what Cap had. Um, Vernon Davis was a top 10 draft pick, but After that, you know, you have Michael Crabtree was a bona fide scrub, but he was drafted in the top 10, and then nobody of significance on the outside. Um, Good offensive line, and, of course, Frank Gore, the ageless one. Now we have a multi-running back deal. You have Juice. We have other pieces in place, but they need a quarterback. And to me... It's Zach Wilson. I know Zach Wilson isn't going to come to us. Um, I kind of have this thing where they wouldn't have traded to three unless they kind of had a feeling that possibly Zach Wilson could slip to them. Um, But I think the Jets with Douglas, Bob Sala, and Michael Four are going to go with Zach Wilson, the rookie. And they're going to rebuild accordingly because they figure the division is going to Buffalo, um, Miami, and New England are going to battle it out, and they're going to be in the back anyway. Um, They're going to go and build with Zach Wilson as their guy. Um, You have to give them credit one way or the other. But then what are they going to do with Sam Darnold? Something we'll talk about because now between now and the draft probably is going to be a lot of – Stuff going on. Probably should do a live cast of the draft. That'll be something. Um, that, that's an idea. I just thought I figured yeah, we, we should could do because <laughs> then you can go and celebrate getting getting freaking Trevor Lawrence, and you I can send you one of the Rico Abreu hats so you can go and have the Trevor Lawrence flow and the whole bit oh, to no. go because. <laughs> I mean, you might as well. I mean, the yeah. guy's got a great flow. I mean, he's yeah, and and he's gonna have all the ladies and whatever. I mean, it's, he's already and, got a lady. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. He can have more. He's he's Trevor Lawrence. I'm sure he probably bangs out all kinds of chicks at Clemson. He has one lady. He probably bangs out like five. It's Clemson. Um, but yeah, we'll we're probably gonna talk about that. We're probably gonna do that because. Uh, the, the draft in Cleveland and all that, uh, it'll save me money because I'll be able to do a live cast. We'll talk the first round of the draft um, when Mac Jones gets drafted by the Niners and I you'll have the live reaction of me wondering why the hell am I a 49er fan. You know, they draft, they give up three first-round draft picks and five total picks to draft 
Um, at best, Matt Ryan 2.0. Um, and at worst, he's Jimmy Garoppolo with more athleticism or whatever, mediocre, like he's Kirk Cousins. I'm like, what the fuck? Why the fuck are you trading that much capital to draft Kirk Cousins? You can just go and trade for Kirk Cousins, sorry ass, and you'll get the same production. He's an Alabama quarterback. I don't care what all these valuations are. I don't care the fact that Kyle Shanahan jacks off to Matt Jones, Mac Jones. The reality is this. I'm sick and tired of his bullshit. He's a terrible, as much as everyone talks about Kyle Shanahan as this great coach, he's not a closer and he's not a great evaluator of talent. His dad was given leeway because he was able to, I mean, albeit you consider he worked with Steve Young, he worked with John Elway, but he took them over the top. He got guys that were not able to get through over the top. And they were two of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Kyle Shanahan, his coach, freaking whatever the hell it was in Houston. But then he coached Kirk Cousins, who's terrible. He coached Jimmy Garoppolo, who's mid-range. He's coached uh, Robert Griffin III and got him rookie of the year, and then he's never done anything ever since. And all these other guys, whatever, along the way. And his quarterback evaluation, he's supposed to be this quarterback guru. In his his infinite wisdom, he thought C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins were serviceable enough to carry them to – being a relatively good team, along with Brian Hoyer, he they both him and John Lynch signed to go and be the quarterback of the 49ers a few years ago. At the end of the day, it's like, really? Brian Hoyer, they just cut CJ Beathard. They spent a third round draft pick on CJ Beathard, which they just traded two of them to Miami. And I don't know, they think one of them went to Philly. And then Nick Mullins is probably going to get cut. They have Josh Rosen on the roster, who's been cut by I don't know how many teams. He was a top-ten draft pick. At some point, you have to start thinking about this and say to yourself, what's going on in that team room in Santa Clara? What's going on in regards to evaluation when you're wrong as much as they're wrong? I could have drafted. MAGA boy to overall that has nothing to do with anything they drafted Solomon Thomas instead of Deshaun Watson granted what the hell's happening Deshaun Watson you know it's not great but then I you got to start thinking about things and looking at it based on where the roster is and everything for him to go and put himself in a position that he would be sued by so many people it seems convenient to me, personally, Niners didn't pick him or Patrick Mahomes. Makes no sense. You know, like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, we have a month to go before the draft. Um, I'm concerned they're going to go and draft 
Matt Jones, Mac Jones, and I called him Matt Jones. Matt Jones used to be in Arkansas quarterback. Yeah, he, was a Jaguars the, he was a receiver and the Jaguars wasted a bait. You wasted a first round draft pick on him. And he was basically a useless tight end. That was a wide yeah. receiver. Yeah. Um, I'll be happy when you guys pick up Mac Jones. That's all I'll say. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, that'd be, yeah. That'd so, be so you can watch me stroke out and that'll be the end of the Grifter podcast. Yeah. Thanks. Man. <laughs> I we're supposed to be friends. I thought we we're supposed to be friends, but it's, um, it's fun. Um, we'll go to your, um, iRacing sim segment. Uh, let us know your exploits here in the last week and what you're working on and what you're looking to do here this week as we go into Easter. Yeah. So for iRacing, the uh, cup series and truck series this week uh, are at iRacing Super Speedway. Um, so the C- series actually is hold- holding uh, official races, which seems like a bad idea because, you know, as you saw back in December from the live streams and, when they debuted the track, it was all sorts of carnage and madness and stuff like that. But it's a little bit different now. Uh, they they've changed the draft model to um, be more realistic to the super speedways uh, draft model that they have in real life, and it takes a, a lot of work to really get up to another car and you know push draft and bump draft and all that stuff. And you you, know, you really have to be able to coordinate that now with uh, the whoever's in front of you. So it's a little bit more of a challenge to. Uh, get up to the lead i mean i i did one race and i was able to go i mean i started 10th and i was able to get up to the lead but uh, it was hard to uh really you know pass the leader and kind of turns it into a one lane race uh in the corners at least um and that's really where you got to keep up as uh, stay behind the leader and get up into the corners uh, and try to get underneath them but um you know like dale jr says you know sometimes you got to take the runs that you you can get uh, and sometimes you gotta try to see if you can power alongside on the backstretch and then, uh, try to side draft him in the turn and then, uh, side draft him again on the front stretch to, uh, pick up the lead there. So, uh, I'll probably do a race tomorrow and, uh, maybe throughout the weekend, not sure yet what my plans are for the weekend, but I try to get in one race. I mean, I did one, it was kind of a practice race, I guess, and, uh, ended up wrecking out. Um, but you know, that's how that race is. I mean, it's all for fun. Don't don't really like you know care too much about like crashing out you know it's um it's all it's all about having fun um uh the indie cars at Watkins Glen boot might do that but uh not sure um how much I'll do that I mean not really experienced enough on the uh road courses with an indie car uh to really be uh confident to you know be competitive but you know at some point you got to do it so probably do at least some test runs there we'll see what happens um but, you know, we talked about earlier uh, interacting with any car drivers uh, on social media, you know, last week uh, talked to or, or, you know, quote tweeted a, a story with Dalton Kellett uh, basically making his own steering wheel um, using, um, you know, engineering skills. And, uh, and he's got a, a solder, um, you know, his uh, breadboard and, um, you know, uh, silicone and all that together and, um yeah, I did a lot of that in college for various projects, having to actually print out a uh, printed circuit board and, and, you know, solder that up together with, you know, different pieces. So I thought that was cool. And, you know, we got to get him on the, I guess sometime we got to try to see if we can get him on this and ask him about, you know, his sim racing experiences. Um, 
engineering experience in general, at least for me. And then, you know, obviously his racing experience and uh, the, you know, stories he's probably got with AJ Foyt and, and probably Sebastian Bourdais as well. Um, and that'll be an interesting conversation if we can have it, you know, got to try to, you know, coordinate that with him if we can. So um, definitely a uh, lot to look forward to for sim racing in general. Um, hopefully the, I guess as a sport, hopefully it can grow and um, be more than uh, certainly the 1400 viewers that it had for the IndyCar sim races on iRacing. I mean, that's partly IndyCar's fault, but, you know, in general, outside of like the really, really big races, uh, um, sim racing has a tough time trying to gather our viewership uh, compared to other esports. So, um, you know, the, hopefully they uh, can figure out a way to collectively grow and figure it out. So uh, a lot of good stuff there, though. Yeah, they need to hire people like us that actually have a clue and can go and promote and really get people to engage. Uh, they had NBC, SN with them doing the sim racing thing before the IndyCars came back, and they still weren't able to draw. Um, IndyCar has become this really difficult draw um, over many years, and it's because of the split. Um, that is, it's hurt the overall product, even though they have one of the best products that exists in all motorsports and sports. Um, promotion has always been a struggle for them, too. Uh, but you know, the, at some point, they're gonna have to either change things up or be willing to just deal with the fact that they're, you know, not even getting a one. Um, in TV ratings, or they go and stream, you know, connect with like Amazon or stream with like Netflix or something like that, and come up not only with like live racing practice and the whole thing, but then also come up with other content and put themselves out there the way that other series are right now and really going towards the online streaming platform versus what they're trying to do and trying to be relevant towards TV where nobody cares on TV outside of diehards. Um, it's something that we'll have to see not only on the SIM side, which has growth potential, but the regular side. Um, with that, uh, we can um, end tonight's uh, Gripster podcast. Uh, tomorrow will be April Fool's Day. This is definitely not an April Fool's joke. It's a real episode. I don't know if you had any jokes, Josh. It sounds like you put it in the outline, so there has to be something for you to put it in the outline. No, I mean, I was just saying it there, you know. Um, I mean, I don't have any real jokes. I mean, I, I mean, could say, oh, we got Tony Stewart coming on next week or whatever but yeah that would be, that, be too obvious <laughs> no nah, i mean i just put that there for fun you know um we, we have noah gregson coming yeah. on the grip strip podcast next week for sure and yeah. we're also going to have nikita mazapan see i went and broke my my own thing um on the grip strip podcast so we're going to have gagson mazapan episode 55 book it It'll be on the Grifter podcast um, for sure as we lead into the Masters tournament um, as well. Um, that's that's definitely 
um, an April Fool's joke because I think Nikita Mazepin and um, Noah Gregson um, should end themselves. So the fact of the matter is that will definitely not be on the Grip podcast. That's definitely a joke. Um, with that, um, we will uh, wish you, whoever is uh, celebrating, those who uh, celebrate um, Easter religion, would all um, happy Easter to you all. Um, and I mean, for my family and whatever, we celebrate Easter. So that, I don't know about you, Josh, I figure yeah, you do same. too. So um, happy Easter from us here at the GSP. Um, we definitely, or me, myself, I'm less, um, I'm probably worse with the holy stuff based on my mouth, but is what it is. Um, it's life. Uh, there's a reason why we're together um, doing this deal. Um, we we use it as a relief, a stress relief to really talk about what racing is all about and sports and anything that's coming up. Um, where can we follow you, Josh, not only for your sim racing, but in general? Yeah, so uh, for sim racing, you know, always follow uh, twitch.tv slash UCLR2 and go watch uh, the same streams on there, um, cause they're kind of at random, but, you know, so just, you know, follow and then try to get notifications, I guess, if, uh, you know, you want to follow that and watch, um, and then for, you know, social media, I mean, I'm really mostly just active on Twitter, um, you know, so just follow at, uh, Twitter slash, uh, twitter.com slash, uh, at JP Huffine, um, that's where you can follow me for all my, you know, social media takes and, uh, takes on the races and, you know, take on football games and anything other else that uh, interests me. And for me, you can follow me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. Um, you can follow us and follow the show at Grip Strip Pod on Twitter. And um, you can hear me also on Talking in Circles and uh, Grid Talk podcast in um, for both NASCAR and Formula One, respectively. Uh, I write for Sportlight.com along with the um, my website philipgmatthew.com, which is my blog, and where you can also find the Gripture podcast. Every episode's out there. On there, you can find us on App, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora. And basically anywhere else you can go and find podcasts, uh, give us a like, give us a listen, download the whole bit, let us know what you want to go and hear. Um, in fact, I've personally gotten over, gotten to 750 followers or something. I don't know how many of them are robots or whatever, but we'll take it. Um, we'll be back next week with the Gripster podcast to go and talk about Martinsville, which will have Xfinity and Cup um, night racing uh, Friday and Saturday night. We'll talk about MotoGP took place this past weekend. Anything else that comes up in regards to IndyCar, sports cars, Formula One. Um, also get a little probably NCAA tournament talk. I don't know if UCLA goes and gets the upset against Gonzaga. Probably not. But 
toggle NCAA tournament talk, uh, Masters talk, bowling, USBC Masters this weekend. Um, probably have some NHRA going on, other things. We'll have it all here on the Rift Podcast. And if you want to go and uh, buy uh, anything on circlebdiecast.com uh, or planbsales.com, uh, please use the coupon code GSP28 um, when you're using the code and you'll get 20 um you'll get a discount uh, on that. And it's for free shipping on all orders within the U.S. that are $20 or more. And so you can go and definitely spend that, um, whether you have the military discount, military member discount or not, you can go and uh, utilize that um, discount for sure because uh, of how much shipping is, it's, it's worth it. So utilize the code GSP28 um, on circlebdiecast.com to um, go and buy your diecast, whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, or um, throwback diecasts, which are University of Racing, whatever else you want to be into. Uh, If you have any questions about that, go and hit us up on Twitter. Uh, uh, For Josh, thank you as always, brother for being there and um, picking up the slack whenever you need to for me because I'm going to lose it at times um, for Josh and his family, for myself, Philip Matthew and my family. I'm um, happy Easter. God bless. Take care of one another. Get your vaccine so that we can get back to normal. We can go and have fun at racetracks again and really truly live the life that we want to live. Um, wear a mask, social distance, do your thing um, so that normalcy or whatever normal is, if there's such thing, can get back to that for sure. God bless. Good night.